Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs who want to get control of their finances, make more money, and live a balanced life. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and profitability coach. Join us each week to learn ways to run a more profitable business through inspiring discussions with financial professionals, business experts, and thought leaders. If you're looking for a quirky spin on business with a dab of woo-woo, grab your headphones. Together, we will break through our fears, live a life of abundance, and get the balance right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get the Balance Right podcast. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. If I sound a little bit different, uh, that's because I'm in a hotel room in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I'm attending the She Podcast Conference. I'm using this new contraption that my husband got me for my birthday. Thank you, Vaughn. It's called a monocaster light, if I've got the pronunciation of this right. Anyways, it is a device that hooks up to my laptop to allow me to podcast on the go. I feel a little weird because I'm kind of crouched down over this microphone to make sure that you can hear me and that the people in the hotel room next to me, they don't hear me doing this. I thought about going into the bathroom, but then I was told it would be too echoey. And so here I am doing this. feels weird not to be in my home recording the podcast. This is the first time I've ever done this. So anyways, She Podcast. This is a really cool conference. So I'm in Arizona. I don't think I've ever been to Arizona to visit. I think I've only been to the airport. That's a side, don't worry about that. But anyways, if you are a fellow podcaster or in the podcast production space, I highly recommend that you come to this conference the next time they put it on. I don't know if it's going to be in Arizona or where it will be. But I have met some amazing women. I'm so excited to announce that several of them that I asked said that they would be on my podcast and I've gotten their contact information. So it's for reals. Yes, I am really excited. I've got some super, super guests coming up and I'm so psyched to share their wisdom with you. They've all had achievements, which I think you'll find incredibly inspiring. That makes me so happy. Now, moving into the actual show, We have a really powerful woman on our show today, Leslie Kuster. She's not a podcaster, but she's done all kinds of really cool things, including being a business lifestyle mentor, entrepreneur, author, inspirational speaker, and CEO and founder of Back From Bali. In her 50s, she took her fashion business from five figures to making millions. Yes, you heard me right, millions. If you're in your midlife and you're having doubts with your business, I think Leslie's story will really resonate with you. She also has a book that's coming out called Seven Keys to Seven Figures for Women Entrepreneurs. I got to tell you, Leslie was such a delight to talk to. She beams with happiness. You can just hear it in her voice. It sounds like she's smiling when she's talking even when you're not looking at her face. She is living a life full of joy. Not only that, she's living a life of compassion and money. And she's not shy about admitting that she loves money. But she's certainly not in that Scrooge McDuck kind of way of loving money. It's more about what she can do with money. 
Our topic today was originally going to be about making millions in your 50s. But as the interview progressed, it became more about the power of change. I really enjoyed talking to Leslie. This whole idea of changing your focus in your mindset, in your skills, in your plans, it's all very exciting. And that's what we do as entrepreneurs. If we are willing to take a different route, then we can grow and do amazing things in our business. You never know what's going to happen when you change things up. Before we go into the interview, I want to share my gratitude to those who have listened to the podcast. It has definitely been an adventure with twists and turns that I would never have expected. Certain things haven't gone as planned and my ideas have definitely morphed over time. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, then you know that. But it's kind of like life. That's what makes living so exciting because it can be unpredictable. Now, I must preface that I can be sort of a control freak. Yes, I like having things mapped out with goals set and strategies in place. I find immense comfort in this. For instance, when I travel, I research the places I want to eat well in advance. I use Google Maps to chart out a course from my hotel to the nearest Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or whatever options that may be in that area that carry organic and vegan options. I know exactly how long it will take me to go from the hotel to walk there and the preferred path that I'm going to take there and back. And you know what I do is I take a picture of that map on Google Maps uh, and do a screenshot. Then I add it to my calendar on that exact date that I plan on going there. That way I can just click on the image and see the map. I totally plan this out. In addition, I know exactly where all the various vegan-friendly cafes and restaurants are, which neighborhoods they're in, and how long to get there from my hotel or wherever we're going. So say we're going to a museum, then I'll know, okay, the museum's in that area, what places are we can eat there, and then I always have a backup plan in case that place closes or it's out of business. You get the idea. When you're a vegan, this is imperative, unless you want to find yourself hangry. You don't want to see a vegan hangry, roaming the streets, desperately looking for something besides the obligatory portobello mushroom burger and side salad with the toppings removed. One time years ago, my husband and I were in Las Vegas and spent hours going up and down the strip trying to find something to eat. Yes, the land of all-you-can-eat buffets, and we couldn't find anything. Do you know that several Mexican restaurants in Las Vegas put chicken stock in their rice that they serve with their vegetarian options? Vegetarian options, you gotta check. And I also found out most of the tofu dishes at P.F. Chang's uses sugar from bone char to make the sauce. Mmm, love me some bone char. These are the kind of things that you're going to find out when you ask, uh, is this vegan? And of course, the waiter doesn't have a clue. So they go in to see the chef and they ask 
if it's vegan and if the chef knows what vegan is, they soon come out and tell you things like, oh, yeah, there's chicken stock and the rice or there's bone char and the sauce. Hmm. Yeah. No wonder my brother who was vegetarian for years had a don't ask, don't tell motto. Well, I'm a lot stricter than that and I want to know what's in my food. We had one trip, though, that will top it all. This was years ago when smartphones weren't around and GPS and cars were a thing. My husband and I went on another trip to Las Vegas and we had a GPS in our rental car. It was the kind of with the British sounding bot. You know, I called her a female, but my husband's like, robots don't have gender. We decided we we're going to go to Whole Foods to get some food. And we had a day planned out. And we were like, okay, we're just going to go to Whole Foods, come back to the hotel room, eat in our room, and then get ready for the rest of the day. All right. So we put the thing in the GPS, and we're driving and driving and driving. And I'm thinking, uh, I think we're in the desert or going towards the desert. or It just certainly did not seem like anywhere where a Whole Foods would be. And suddenly... We're in the middle of nowhere, and the British-sounding bot says, You have arrived. Your destination is on the right. Okay, I know that was a really bad accent, but you get the idea. We looked to the right, and we were in the middle of nowhere. It looked like some place where the mob would go bury bodies in the desert back in the day. Yeah, there was no way that there was a Whole Foods here. And it certainly didn't look like a place where they would even build a Whole Foods. We eventually found a food for less and bought a jar of peanut butter and a box of crackers and used the interior of the rental car's trunk as our table. Ah, yes, the glitz and glamour of Las Vegas. The ironic thing is that Vegas and vegan are only one consonant different. After that peanut butter in the trunk incident, my food travel plans have become really diligent. I create backup plans for my backup plans. And you may be thinking, why don't you just look up a place on your phone when you get there? Yes, that is an option. But then there's the what ifs. My phone runs out of batteries, or the signal is crappy, or there is no signal. When it comes to food, I can't be that spontaneous. I've tried that, and unless you're in an extremely vegan-friendly town, that method can leave you desperately looking for somewhere to eat for hours. Since restaurants have a tendency to close without fair warning on the internet, I also look for several options in the same vicinity. This level of militant planning oozes into the various crevices of my life. I do this with everything. However... When I became an entrepreneur, I soon found out that I had to be flexible to survive. I want to be very clear. In business, you do have to plan. However, being nimble is crucial. In business, rigidity can lead to stagnation, lost opportunities, and obsolescence. After talking about this, thinking now back on the peanut butter incident, It really wasn't that bad. About a half an hour before we dined in the trunk, we were actually in the middle of the desert screaming in horror that our defective GPS led us on a wild goose chase away from civilization. We were losing it. At that point, we were beyond hangry. My husband and I just sat in the car 
looking over the vast desert at the site of the fictitious Whole Foods, and we had a total meltdown. See, we had planned to search out Area 51 that day, and now we were halfway there. We had two options. One was to abort the mission, go back to the hotel, and for the third time, eat the broccoli and tofu dish we triumphantly discovered was vegan. We were so excited when we found this dish. We were like, ooh, it's vegan. Yeah, it's not as exciting when you have it the third time. Okay, so that was option one. Option two, press on through the desert in hope that we find something, anything, that would fit within the constraints of our self-imposed constrictive diet. After all, no matter how starved I was, I was not going to give up my ethics. So we drove on. We came across a McDonald's. No way. Subway. Ugh, too gross. Dairy Queen. A lactose intolerant nightmare. Then, across the road, we spotted it. Food for less. We drove through that big, huge parking lot. We now were looking at the complete opposite of whole paycheck. It was like seeing the Emerald City in the Land of Oz, and we were on the yellow brick road. We entered the store and tore through the aisles in search of protein and carbs. Then we saw it on the shelf, like the Holy Grail. Ah, Adam's 100% natural peanut butter. No, it wasn't organic, but you know, desperate times leaves for desperate measures. And we found some crackers. They were definitely GMO crackers. But we put all that aside because now we had a complete meal. The moral of the story is that we thought on our feet. We adapted to the situation, no matter how crappy it was, and found a new solution. That's exactly what we have to do in business, no matter how solid you think your plan is. Now, despite how janky our dining experience was, I got to tell you, it goes down in the history books as one of the most memorable meals my husband and I have ever had together. Forget the fancy meal in a swanky hotel. If you have a meal next to a tire iron, you just can't erase that experience from your memory. The same goes with the snafus in your business. You can have a complete snafu, you're forced to make changes, and in the end, you actually come up with a better solution than you had ever even thought about. Now, going back to our guest, Leslie, her story of success in fashion is both inspiring and completely unpredictable. Through a series of wild events, Leslie went from schlepping through the streets of Bali with a suitcase full of garments to being a street vendor in New York to building a multi-million dollar empire on Amazon. Leslie took her keen eye for fabrics, mixed it with tenacity, years of grind, and then a breakthrough. She modified her plan and became relentlessly focused. Through the power of positive thinking, a new reckoning with money, and a hell of a lot of sticky notes, she went from scraping by to making seven figures each year. You are in for a treat. Here is my interview with the lovely Leslie Cooster. Leslie Cooster, welcome to Get the Balance Right Podcast. Thank you so much. So happy to be here with you today. I'm so excited. And you are in Zurich. 
I am. I married a Swiss guy. I met him in New Mexico. I guess I was exported into Switzerland. I've been living in Zurich for quite a few years now, but we're about to make a big shift and come back to the U.S. I'm a swatch collector, so I love anything that's from Switzerland. I have a giant swatch collection. Well, we have a lot to talk about. You are a very interesting woman. You are a business lifestyle mentor, entrepreneur, author, inspirational speaker, and CEO and founder of Back From Bali. That's a lot of stuff. And you have a master's in clinical social work. So how do you go from that into the fashion industry? (laughs) That's a great question. How can I even figure that out myself? I've always been a seeker. Let's just start with that. I've always been a seeker. My dad was very much a seeker and he was going to Esalen, which is this kind of self-development place in California that still exists, I think, still. He kind of introduced me to spirituality and looking at one's life and reflecting on themselves. And I just have it in me as well. I was always interested in psychology and that whole direction. I pretty much was going to go into psychology, but I suppose one had to get a job, right? And I just started working in New York City and ended up doing public relations, which has nothing to do with psychology at that time. But I was trying to figure out. I was in my early 20s and just trying to figure the whole thing out. And I ended up deciding to go traveling. And I went traveling to Bali, which is one of the islands in Indonesia. And I just fell in love with the experience of traveling. And I fell in love with Indonesia and with the people in Bali and the fabrics I saw. And so when I got back to New York City, I needed to find a job and I didn't want to get a job. And I just had one of those light bulb moments of remembering the beautiful clothing I saw there. I jumped on a plane and I just started my business, basically importing clothing at that time. At the same time, I decided to get my master's in clinical social work because there is that other side of me that is interested in inspiring and helping and counseling and psychology. So I was really doing both of those things at the same time. And you started the company in 1991. Were you importing these fabrics and these clothing and selling them in shops or did you start your own shop? How did that work? I just went back to Bali with a big, huge suitcase. I hit the streets. It's really hot there. It's probably the hottest place that exists in the world. So just imagining walking down the streets of Indonesia and Bali and going into stores and buying literally off the rack and then putting it into a huge duffel bag and bringing it back to New York City and signing up for street fair. So I was literally a street fair vendor. And I did that for many years. And then eventually I started to do wholesaling, which is basically selling into stores, a business I really hate and don't recommend anybody to do. And then from that step, I started selling online, which is the best way to run a business. And I still love it and really encourage people to have online businesses because you could work from anywhere. And the beauty of a product-based business, which is what I have, is you literally make money while you sleep. And come on, nothing's better than that. My first degree actually is in fashion and I worked in New York in the fashion industry and it is a tough business. You went from five figures to millions in your 50s. How did you make that leap? 
It's all about wanting it and getting your mindset changed and shifted. I really got to a place in my life. I was in my early 50s, like you said, and I had two businesses. I was running two businesses. One was the importing business and one was an empowerment program for girls. That's the social work side of it. I was doing both at the same time. And I was just not really making the money I really wanted to be making. I was really feeling like I was just not living up to what I knew I can do. And I was definitely not living up to the amount of money that I wanted to be making. I started to just get super honest with myself about what are these thoughts in my head that are basically directing where I am and keeping me where I am. And I had a lot of false beliefs. They went something like this, that if I'm successful, I won't have any more time in my life to do the things I want. Or people who just go after money are greedy and I'm more of a spiritual person. And I just got very honest that I did want to be successful and I did want to make more money. And I started to believe that not only can you do that, but you can do that and also have free time and also have balance and also continue to do the things that I love to do. The question you ask, how do you do that? You make a very clear decision to do it. And then you get the help from a coach or a consultant to teach you how to do it. It sounds like you did a whole mindset shift around money. Was this sort of a law of attraction type thing? Can you describe what the transformation was for you? When I decided to make this decision, I decided to also inundate myself with positive thinking kind of law of attraction things. And I was actually in New York City at the time. It was Thanksgiving. I was listening to this recording that I had from this like money guru guy. And I like put my headphones on walking down the streets of New York on 14th Street. He said something that just stopped me in my tracks. If you want to have money, you actually have to want money. Now, maybe that doesn't come across so unbelievably amazing to everybody listening, but for me, it really was. It was like, wow, if I want to have it, I actually have to like consciously want it. I started to do a lot of mindset things. One of my ninja tricks is thinking about what kind of sales I want to be doing for the day or for the month. I sell online, I sell on Amazon and my own website. So I'm looking at daily sales, weekly sales, monthly sales. I would and still do buy those pretty little post-its in pink and purple and blue and orange. And I would write down the number that I wanted and I put it everywhere. So I would put it where I wash the dishes. So I'm looking at it on the hallway as I pass it on my car console, on my laptop, which it's on right now, if you can see. I started to do things like that to just start believing that I can create those level of sales. I'm going to start doing that. That is just very cool. And I've got a lot of sticky notes, so I'm going to start putting them to work. <laughs> do it. Do it. They work. When you were going through this whole transformation, so you started this business 
in 91 and then you were selling online. What were some things that happened to you, some mistakes that you made along the way that you're like, oh, 50 something year old of you wish that the younger you had known about? I guess what it is, first of all, it's that you have to change your mindset. I know I've said this, but I can't say that more clearly. And you need to look at your money story. You need to look at what your beliefs are around money, how you were raised, what you were taught, all of those kind of things. So that is like number one, the most important thing. And then you need to hire someone who knows what they're doing. My criteria is always to hire someone who is where you want to be and was where you are now. I was in e-commerce and selling physical products online. So I ended up hiring a consultant who specialized in online, the online space. And it was making that decision to hire someone who knew what they were doing because I simply did not know what I was doing that really moved it forward. You don't know what you don't know. You have no idea what you don't know. And that's why you really need someone who's showing you exactly how to go about and doing it because selling online and selling on Amazon, the truth is it doesn't really take huge amounts of intelligence. It just takes learning skills and it takes taking a lot of action and making things happen and following a process to make it happen. And sticky notes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sticky notes. Absolutely. That's it. One of the things that we talk about on this show is taking shame away from money. I work with female entrepreneurs. There's a lot of shame around it. A lot of like, oh, I don't even want to look at my numbers. You're talking about looking at your numbers every single day, which I think is so important. We have to be in the trenches with our numbers to really move the needle. You also talk about this unapologetic love of money. Can you describe that a little bit? I love money and I could just take money in my arms and kiss it all over because why not? Why not? Why do we have these judgments and this shaming and all these things that you're talking about around money? Money is not good. Money is not bad. Money is basically a vehicle for us to live the most beautiful, greatest lives that we possibly can have. I have found in my own journey, which is why I'm talking about this, and in the journey of other women entrepreneurs that I work with now that I'm consulting, that it is our money stories and our negative money beliefs that are stopping us from making money. If you are not making a lot of money right now and you have a business, it's because of your money stories. This is the reason why it's not happening. In order for us to shift this, we have to embrace loving money and wanting money and to relieve ourselves of, as you said, the shame and the embarrassments and the judgments about, God forbid, saying that's what we want. I am really tired to tell you the truth, hearing women say things like they're not in it for the money. They would work anyway, even if they made no money. They're not a money person. All of these things are truthfully not true, if really honest, and they're coming from false beliefs. And we want to free ourselves, right? We want to be free of these things in our lives so we can live the life we want. And you're writing a book about this, Seven Key Ways. Your book is coming out, I think, next year. Can you give us kind of a sneak peek at what those seven things are? 
Yeah, absolutely. I didn't go to business school. I run a multiple million dollar women's clothing brand and I don't even know how to sew. I started to like think a few years ago, like how in the world did I do this? And that is what the book does. So the book really speaks about seven steps that I did in order to bring my business from five figures to multiple seven figures. And for example, one of the keys and one of the most important ones is focus. At the time, I had two businesses that I had mentioned before, and I realized that when I would focus on one of the businesses, it would improve and go up and sales would go up. And the other one, guess what, would go down. And then I would run over and start working on that business and that would go up and the other would go down. And I was on a seesaw of these two businesses for years and years. And this is something that a lot of women do because we have a a false belief that we can multitask. And the truth is we can't. And in order to make anything really explosive and grow, you have to focus just on that. And so that is why focus is actually key number two in my book. Yeah. And people do say if you're going to use some sort of social media that you should just focus on one and be all the things on that one thing. And I know I work with a lot of women that have great ideas. They're very creative and they want to do all the things. And that focus seems like that is definitely key. So what's another one of the seven items? Become a ferocious learner. That's the next one, especially for women entrepreneurs who have maybe been in it for a while and maybe they feel like they already know things. We have to be really humble. And no matter where our sales are at, if they're at 20,000 or 100,000 or 500,000 or, you know, in the millions, we have to realize that we still need to learn a lot and things are changing all the time. Reading books and reading business books, you know, learning about the economy economy, taking courses, listening to podcasts like your podcast, all of these things, getting a coach, a consultant, a mentor, joining mastermind groups so you don't feel so alone and you can be supported by other entrepreneurs as well. These are so incredibly important. And when we stop doing those things, when we stop learning and when we isolate ourselves where we're just in our own little you know, world doing our own businesses, that is when mistakes are made. And that's when you start to fall behind. So becoming a ferocious learner is the next step. I love that. I have a stack of books that I'm reading right now and trying to maybe I need to focus on one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I've got yeah. sticky notes and all these different books. I read certain chapters and try to take in that information. And I mean, to me, life is all about learning. So I love that. Now, you were mentioning coaching and courses. You also provide this as well, right? In your business, you're focusing on your passion, but now you've altered your focus a little bit, right? That's true. A few years ago, I had my business and I was starting to feel as if all I did was work on my business only. And I'm able to run my business now where I really don't have to work so many hours a week because I have systems set up. I have VAs, virtual assistants helping me. And so thankfully, I really got the business to a point where I was working about five to 20 hours a week, which is something I like to help women do. And I started to realize that 
that I know certain ways to make that happen. I decided I wanted to start teaching and, and giving workshops and helping other women entrepreneurs because I'm really passionate that women should make more money and not only make more money, they should also have more freedom in their lives and they should also have the life that they want. And this is something really important to me. I don't believe in just work and make the focus only on that. It's really important to have downtime and have empty time and have you time and time to connect with your spirit and your intuition and get inner guidance. All of these things are so important. Yes. So I started to do consulting and I created a course called Keys to Success. And you could find out all of these on my website, which is lesliecooster.com. Great. And what is this thing called empty time? I've read some stuff of yours that said empty time. What is that concept? I really believe that if you want to be successful in business, there are times when you have to stop doing business. I call that empty time. So that could be for some people, it could be literally meditation. It could be walking in the woods. It could be journaling. It could be going on a retreat, which is what I have done for years and years away in New Mexico for six weeks at a time in the summer and do meditation, do dancing, breathing, sleeping, all of that. The reason why we need this empty time is because If we don't have it, we're just on a treadmill of just doing the next thing. And we're just following a life of our to-do list. And when we do that, we often make decisions and choices that are just based on things that are not necessarily even important to us. So in order to make our businesses, the businesses that we really want, that's authentic to us, we need the time to know what that is. And unless you make that time, you can't ever know what it is. And so I call it empty. Empty time. I need more empty time in my life. That's for sure. When I stare at my iPad watching Netflix, that's my empty time, I think, maybe. <laughs> that doesn't count. Oh, it doesn't? Oh, okay. Darn. No, and vacations <laughs> don't count either. And I'm, oh, vacations are not empty time. I mean, unless your vacation is really an empty time, like you literally are going by yourself someplace and you are really somewhere where you're not online all the time. I am really talking about time where things are empty. And listen, in our crazy world, we're in having children. Not everybody can go to a a retreat and even for a week. So we have to take those minutes in the day, even if it's two minutes or three minutes where you close your eyes and you breathe and you just stop. I need more of that. I know people have talked to me about going to these retreats and I think it's in California where nobody talks for two weeks or something. I I think I'd go insane, but maybe I need something like that. (laughs) Those are extreme. I've never done that, but I hear it's intense. Yeah. Intense or very boring. I don't know. (laughs) The women listening to this podcast, a lot of them are in their 50s. I'm in my 50s. And I started my business in my 50s. And with the pandemic, a lot of women have either lost their jobs, they had to go into early retirement, and they're thinking, "Mm, I want to try having a business. What would you say about women starting a business for the very first time in their 50s? Obviously, for you, age doesn't hold you back at all. What are your tips for them? Do it. Okay, the most successful women business owners, by the way, are in their 50s. So it's actually statistic that the successful women are between 45 and 65 years old. This is the time that you will be successful. I cannot emphasize enough that it's really never too late unless you're dead and then maybe it's too late. But beyond that, 
if you have any thoughts like I'm too old to do it or, or I don't know enough or whatever, these again are mindset issues that are holding you back that are 100% not true. I've been really lucky in my life because both of my parents really were like never too late people. My dad did some extraordinary things in his life in his 70s. My mother wrote two books in her 70s and 80s. I have really good role models. For me, it's maybe a little easier, but this is the best time. The other thing to think about is that this is all we have, like this moment in your life. If you did lose your job or if you're thinking you really want to do something different, if you have a feeling like you want to do it, I think it's important to realize you wouldn't have the feeling unless you're supposed to be doing it. Not everybody has that feeling. Not everybody wants to start a business. Not everybody even thinks about it. And if you are thinking about it, it's because there's something inside of you that wants to come out and just go and do it. Wonderful. I I love that. Leslie, this has been really great. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us today. You mentioned some of the things that you have courses and all, but how can people find you on the socials? How can they work with you and all of that? Yeah. LeslieCooster.com is the best way to find me. And also check out YouTube. I have a great channel. I have probably 30 or 40 videos up there, all free content, obviously on how to start businesses, what stops you, mindset things, issues around money, also paying yourself first, all these kind of really important things to women entrepreneurs. So definitely check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. And it's so important to pay yourself first. This is, I, I can't stress that enough. Women, oftentimes they don't, well, I'm an accountant, so I look at their books and I'm like, well, where are you going to pay yourself? Where's this coming from? The money's going out to all these different things. That is so important. And in fact, that was the big shift for me too, is when early in my business, maybe my first year or second year, my consultant said, do you pay yourself? And I said, I buy plane tickets and pay for dinners. And she said, no, <laughs> do you pay yourself? Am I supposed to? So this is really one of the biggest mistakes, as you said, women entrepreneurs make is that they don't pay themselves. And the best system I have learned to learn how to do this is called Profit First. And it's a book by Mike Michalowicz. And it, it, it transformed my entire business. I really recommend reading that book. Yeah, that is a great one. Very cool, Leslie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's so much fun and an honor. Thank you. Thank you. 